The store plays such a critical role in digital. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 65, and today's guest is Rob Garth. Rob is currently a vice president and the general manager for retail at Salesforce. He has had a career based in analysis, research, retail strategy, and helping retailers think through their next steps in better serving their customers in digital and in their stores. We will hear about the famous Garfi and how what started as simple selfies has turned into a wonderful charitable effort. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rob Garf. Rob is a vice president and general manager for retail at Salesforce. With more than 25 years of global retail experience as practitioner, industry analyst, strategy consultant, and software leader, he's no stranger to the industry and the challenges retailers face. He currently leads retail strategy, product, and insights and advises senior executives globally on digital transformation. Rob is also a frequent industry speaker, a member of NRF's Digital Council, and chair of the Retail Customer Advisory Board. Rob, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Mark. I liked that introduction as well. If only my kids would give me any credit, you know, it's uh, a tough sell for them, but it sounded pretty good coming from you. And it means a lot to be on your show today. Well, thanks for uh, doing it. I know you're busy. Uh, there's lots going on, especially as retailers gear up for holiday. Let's uh, let's jump in first. This is kind of a question. You know, you're out there quite a bit. There's this whole thing about getting a picture with Rob Garf. So, what's that all about? The Garfy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, a little insider story here is I struggled a bit with my persona online through social. And going back to my demand war days, my marketing team really encouraged me to be a bit more public through that media. And um, I couldn't really figure out what I should do. And by the way, I don't know if I figured it out yet anyway, but Twitter, I'm still struggling with. But LinkedIn, I found my groove in that I was spending a lot of time on the road talking to retailers like you, Mark, and learning and being inspired. And I wanted to share that with uh, the rest of the industry. I also was doing a lot of speaking as well. And at the end of most any speaking engagement, I would turn around and take a picture with me and the audience in the background. And I would post it. And I would give a little bit of commentary about the person or something I learned or an interesting experience along my travels. And one day, the social media manager said to me, how about Garfi? I'm like, okay. And that just kind of took off. And really where it really gained a lot of steam was at NRF. And I'm losing track of time here, Mark, but it probably was three, four, maybe even five years ago where we teamed up with Retail ROI, the Retail Orphan Initiative. And we said, hey, for every Garfi that somebody posts, we'll donate to 
um, retail ROI. And over the course of the couple of years we've done it, we've really raised tens of thousands of dollars for that amazing charity. And that now has become a cool little thing, taking a little bit of time off uh, during COVID, coming back out of this and how much excitement people have uh, to be a part of this. So that's a little bit of a backstory of the Garfi. I love it. I love it. So folks, uh, as you're listening here, if uh, you see Rob out there, make sure you get your Garfi. Uh, it all goes for a good cause. Uh, good story. We like to start the show uh, oftentimes, you know, getting a sense from people about their, you know, quick view of their background. Oftentimes you find that, you know, folks that uh, you know, their career develops in a certain way. But when you, you think back to their earlier life, uh, there was something that kind of uh, foreshadowed that they'd be in whatever they do today. Anything like that for you? Yeah. Well, retail literally is in my blood. My father was in retail for decades upon decades. He was in logistics and he ran supply chain for some of the largest retailers and brands. So I grew up when it was legal working in his distribution center. So where I did that in particular was hit or miss, which was ultimately bought by TJX. And where I had a little bit of glimpse was, you know, we were just brought in there and my father helped us and my friends get a job there over the summer. And I would find different inefficiencies. I'm mean, again, I was like 15, 16 years old. So I really didn't know what I was talking about, but I'm like, wait a minute, why are we taking the tags off here and then having to put the tags on somewhere else down the line? Or why are we unpacking it just to repack it? Why can't the supplier put it on a hanger to begin with? And I'd have these crazy ideas. That I was suggesting much of the people there were kind of like, well, you're just the boss's kid. What do you know? What are you talking about? Whatever. But I kind of thought, man, you know, this is interesting. I'm really into these, you know, efficiencies and really into the processes and really wanting to understand in the context of this particular job in the warehouse, kind of how things go from beginning to end and how the supply chain actually worked and uh, took more out of it than just unloading boxes for the entire summer. Oh, that's a good segue into the fact that um, I read a quote that you you said, you know, I've sat on all sides of the retail table as a practitioner, uh, at, and you mentioned hit or miss and, and lids and marshals as an industry analyst at AMR and, and a strategy consultant at IBM, and also, you know, a software leader at, at DW and at Demandware and, and Salesforce. But it all kind of started with your time on the ad agency side. Yeah. What was that? Uh, like to get started there? Well, that was in, if you think about it, the mid nineties and advertising was just cool because that's where the young kids hung out and we had a really cool office and what was the John Hancock building in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, but really what became interesting to me and what really propelled me in this direction of not only retail, but digital was the rise of the internet. And we created a digital agency within at the time Hill Holiday and it just was so, so interesting to me. I got to get involved in some early digital marketing, some really early e-commerce initiatives, and I got the bug. I got the bug. I just loved hearing, learning, being part of it. And so really, when the opportunity at Lids came across, I almost willed myself working with or actually selling myself to Nancy Babine Kaczynski, who was the president at the time she came over from Reebok and I just hadn't done all of the pieces of e-commerce and omni-channel. I mean, omni-channel wasn't even a term at that time, but I just kind of knew it and I could piece together my passion with um, some of my interest and made it happen. And it was a great transition from the agency side onto the practitioner side. 
And on the agency side, and, and even as you moved into the, the retail side, were you more of the creative head or more the analytics side? Yeah, it was probably a little bit of analytics, although I wouldn't have called it that back then. And there weren't you know, analytics or data science groups back then, but certainly analyzing the market. But I also had a little bit of, uh, I don't know, both passion and bug for understanding what's next and understanding shopping. And it was also on the operational side, going back to my hit or miss days, just understanding how things were connected and how to do things, particularly in the emerging digital space and leveraging the store, even going back more than 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and you said 20 years, you know, you think back to that when you got your start um, and where we are today and where we might be 20 years from now. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about this, you know, as we talk about current holiday, but give us a, a little, you know, tidbit. W what do you see uh, over these next few years for businesses that are, you know, very heavily digitally focused? Yeah, well, I'll connect some of the dots here, Mark, to my early days going back to Lids. What I saw then is really what we're seeing now, but just propelled even more because of the technology we have at our disposal. And what I mean by that is, Going back to my time at Lids, while I ran e-commerce, I saw the importance of the store. So we were actually one of the first retailers in the country, if not the world, to put in kiosks for Endless Isle. We had anywhere from 500 to 1,000 square foot stores. So you can't hold a ton of inventory. And it was a size. We had fitted hats. So if we didn't have a size in a particular uh, for a particular customer, we didn't want to walk the sale. So we thought, let's have a killer app on the kiosk to be able to provide endless aisle. We didn't call it that back then, but it was just, let's really extend our assortment. And the other thing is we did buy online pickup at store back then as well and scrapped it together with bailing wire and masking tape. We had it delivered from the distribution center. We put red tape around the box. So the associates knew that that was in order to be picked up. We had the associates call, maybe, I don't, I think we even emailed back then because not everybody had it, but we at least called uh, to let the customer know that it was available. So that's my long preamble, Mark, to say fast forward now, and the store plays such a critical role in digital. Our research at Salesforce shows that 60% of digital orders are influenced by the physical store, whether demand is being generated or demand is being fulfilled. So really, as I look out in the next couple of years, it's continuing to digitize the physical store. And going back to the time with the kiosk, we had a killer app, but it's not just about putting technology in the store and hoping people come. It's really solving problems and it's arming the associates and the consumers are already armed with their own mobile device uh, to really break down the friction between digital and physical. Oh, it's cool. You know, it's one of the things we talk about oftentimes in the brands that I work with that have stores, you know, is is the the dollars that we can attribute to the paid media spend that we do that in theory drives the the traffic to the web, but that paid media spend also drives uh, dollars into stores. Um, but the ability to determine absolutely. how much of that is is really a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. It's difficult to attribute uh, certain media spend, uh, to certain channels, everything's blurring together. And consumers, according to our research, are traversing nine different touch points on any given 
shopping journey. So they're not making it any easier for sure. And by the way, I mean, the idea of digitizing the store isn't new, but the idea we can't forget is that the point of sale is just kind of an archaic construct in terms of it being a fixed asset, most of it being on-premise. And it was built that way from the beginning because the connectivity wasn't as strong and we needed to scan and bag in case the broadband went out. And now we're living in this cloud world and thinking about how to untether the associate from the cash wrap. You know, the idea I talk to a lot of customers and retailers in general, general about is, Let's really shift from the mindset of the checkout, which is all about speed and efficiency at the cash wrap, to a check-in. How do we engage the consumer as they're thinking about what to buy, as they're browsing the store, as they could potentially use some service? And so that can only be done through mobile and arming the store associates with data, with intelligence, and empowering them the way consumers are already empowered. You know, uh, funny that you you bring up that point about the stores. You know, so many retailers that I see, the store teams, if you will, are run uh, and managed by ops people, where their their focus is on you know how to minimize labor, uh, how to minimize the cost of acquiring the labor, keeping the labor, um, and that's been you know I think over the last. X number of years, you know, one of the challenges in retail that you get a lot less service. So you're talking about flipping that model on its head, investing perhaps in labor, training them about the product, how to engage kind of the soft skills, right? Absolutely. Uh, the soft skills, and it really opens up the preview of what they're responsible for. It was always generally about efficiency, as you just pointed out, cost. And the associates are being asked to do a whole heck of a lot more now. They're asked to be fulfillment experts, social media managers, service agents in the form of digital concierge and stylists. And the way we you know, manage labor and incentivize, I know that's not a word, provide incentives to associates, that construct just has to change. I mean, if they become pick, pack and shippers, we should probably actually you know, have an incentive and measure their performance on their fulfill rates and not just on their scanning and bagging. So I think, um, you know, as we're thinking about the holiday, as we're thinking about coming out of the holiday, there are a lot of new customer behavior that popped up over the pandemic. And a lot of that was around removing friction from the shopping process. That's to allow for health, safety, and convenience and trust. And that doesn't go away. But a lot of that came from blending together digital and physical and removing that friction. And, uh, you know, retailers are going to have to look at how they become more operationally efficient, really good at kind of getting scrappy over the last couple of years. And now they're trying to figure out how to scale. That's my long way of saying, Mark, yeah, it's not just about efficiency in terms of removing costs, but thinking about streamlining that operation uh, in order to have a frictionless experience, both for the associate and the consumer. And the folks that you're talking to, you know, most retailers today have buy online, pick up in store uh, for the most part. Many retailers uh, are shipping product digital orders from stores. And there's, you know, lots of, you know, there's, I was going to say there's two schools of thought, but there are many more than two about the efficiency of shipping a digital order from a store. 
some businesses think that it's inefficient to do because now I just have to restock that product and I can't sell in a store what I no longer have on a table or on a rack. And then there's others that look at the stores as these distribution centers that now allow me to get my product to a customer more quickly than I could have if I was shipping from one coast to the other from a DC. So as you think about this and you see this, how do you counsel folks? Yeah, I, by the way, I hear both sides of that, Mark, just like you do. And each are done with such equal passion that they're right. It's more efficient to do it out of a DC. It's more efficient to do it out of the store. Well, I mean, let's face it. The stores, as they have been constructed, literally like constructed for the last 100 years, are not as efficient as a distribution center, which is all about the throughput through that center. Again, even my early days of doing it as a teenager, I could tell you that. But what is happening is retailers are redefining the store. They're thinking about what it should look like, what the function of it is, and most importantly, what the role of the store associate is. So yeah, I mean, the way it is today, it's not as efficient. But I talk to just as many retailers who have made the investment or are making the investment both on technology, on infrastructure, like the physical space, the tools, the incentives, and the training. And by the way, what I'm hearing from associates, I do a lot of research when I actually just go shopping with my family. It drives my wife absolutely crazy, but I can't help myself, is that the associates, the managers are actually enjoying the broader scope of their responsibility now because it now becomes the start of or a continuation of a career because they're getting into fulfillment and operations. They're getting into social media. So that means technology. They're getting into service. So they understand um, that aspect of the business. So this is a good thing. That's my long way of saying, I know your initial point was efficiency is the way it is today, yeah, it's difficult uh, to fulfill from a store and actually do it in a cost-effective way. But a lot of the retailers I'm talking to are rethinking the way that looks. You've done you know, lots of research and, and analysis, as you just talked about. You, you did a, a, a time at uh, IBM as a, a retail strategy leader. W what kind of a role was that and how did you interact with customers? And what I guess I'm, I'm really interested in just as a, a guy in the space is how did you yeah. decide what kind of analysis and, and insights you were going to study that you thought were going to be important for your clients? Yeah, well, it's an interesting transition if I could spend a minute on that. So before IBM, I was at AMR Research, as you pointed out, ultimately acquired after I left, shortly after I left, by Gartner to become their supply chain and vertical practice, including. So, you know, at AMR, I really sunk my teeth into understanding where the industry is going. And what I loved about it is as an analyst, I sat right in what I called at the time the place where people like you, Mark, in your role as a retail executive were making buying decisions. The software companies were selling into those retailers. The consulting firms were looking for ways to sell engagements and implementations. And investment firms were looking to figure out what the next hot technology. So we were in the throes of it, which gave me so many amazing inputs. Every time I went to talk to somebody, I was learning as much as I was giving. So I made the decision, uh, which was really tough at the time, to move from there to IBM to take 
that analytical mindset and you know that research methodology to IBM. That was in 2008, where it was a big financial crisis, and we all turned into consultants, right? So I did all of that research on the side, which I loved, but I also had the opportunity uh, to get right in the trenches with retailers across grocery, department store, globally. I had some of my favorite gigs in Europe. And what it allowed me to do and understand is about telling stories and using data to tell stories. And what I mean by that, working with CEOs and the executive teams to help enact change. And change can't just happen by saying, let's do it. You know this. Um, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know by saying that, but telling stories and using data to substantiate it was something I learned at IBM in order to really enact change through inspiration and understanding outcomes. I had one customer, CMO of one of the biggest department stores at the time said, he comes in every day asking what problem are we solving on behalf of the customer? And so any of these engagement, whether it was merchandising transformation, we were doing customer data and intelligence, what became CDP back 15 years ago, engagements in that area. It was about what does the end state look like? What problem are we solving on behalf of customers? And how do we change in order to get there? Yeah, the, the customer perspective is, is so interesting. I, I worked for a company uh, years ago called Red Cats, and it was originally Brylane, and it's, it really trades under today full beauty brands. And, and when I was there, we were owned by a uh, French business, and they had something called Clio, C-L-I-O, and it was short for client obsession client being the customer. And they really hit home to all of their businesses worldwide uh, that you know you needed to be obsessed at how you were going to treat the customer, how you understood the customer, how you were going to service the customer. And you know we've got lots of businesses you know uh, here that um, you know have lost, I think a little bit of that client obsession. Yeah, right. I mean, we all talk about put the customer in the center of everything. It's almost become a little bit of noise, but I like that. And again, that just the acronym that you mentioned just makes it simple. I was working with a customer just recently who has an initiative called ACE, and it's all around what is the focus of the associate at the cash wrap? ACE. A for account, how can we sign them up for a loyalty program? C for credit card, how do we get them in our credit card program? E for email, that's it. If we can get one of three or all three, we're set. And so just keeping it really simple, telling a story and then being able to show the impact of the why. So the story, does that mean there's going to be the Rob Garth book uh, somewhere down the road? Mark, I'd love it. Actually, that's so funny. And we never talked about this. So that's interesting that you mentioned that. I would love to. I would absolutely love to. I think more than anything, and you know, almost taking the ethos of the Garfi is just taking all the learnings and inspiration that I've gleaned from having conversations like this with people like you. I just, I feel like and putting my analytical and analyst hat on, connecting dots. And there are some themes. If I could pay it forward and be able to share kind of this, this magic in a bottle that in this fortunate career that I've had, that would be an amazing thing to do. So 
I'd love to. Saying out loud makes it a little bit more real. So we'll see. All right. We just broke it. You know, who, who knew that the Marketing Playbook podcast would uh, have breaking news? Do you have a direct-to-consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. Let's talk about demandware. So for those that uh, don't know demandware, uh, maybe a a quick background there and then how it uh, uh, came to be a, a part of Salesforce. Yeah, absolutely. So demandware now, commerce cloud, Started in about 2004, really gained traction in 2006. And simply, we were a e-commerce platform in the cloud. If you remember back then, almost any, if not every platform was on-premise. And we looked at Salesforce at the time, our founder, Stefan Schambach, who came from Intershop and said, why can't we manage commerce in the cloud? And where we targeted first was the branded manufacturers. These at the time, 15, 20 years ago, organizations sold 100% or roughly through wholesale. Certainly catalog was still alive and kicking at the time. And so they woke up and said, hey, we should you know, create a direct connection with our customers. And what better way to do that is online. But they didn't have the organization. They didn't have the understanding or really the IP. They didn't certainly have the technology. They were so focused on their supply chain and ERP implementations at the time. And we came in and said, hey, we can stand this thing up with not the traditional cost and complexity of your on-premise technology. And it really, really took hold. Um, as I joined in 2011, we were about 100, 150 people and on the cusp of just being a rocket ship. And as we continued to do really well in the branded manufacturing world, we were then shifting, or I would say expanding to the traditional brick and mortar retailers. We were still feeling resistance at the time to go to the cloud. And so we really tried to play both sides and very successfully of the smaller emerging brands and the larger, more established retailers. Uh, We took it up and down market. We went global and we brought intelligence into the platform to help with automatic product recommendations until we got acquired in 2016 by Salesforce. I should mention too, somewhere in there, we went public as well. So it was an amazing experience taking such a successful company that traditionally sold to the CDO, Chief Digital Officer, CMO, Chief Marketing Officer. And then as we started to move up market to traditional retail, being able to speak the language of the CIO, which we spent so long trying to avoid, and we couldn't help but play nicely with them um, as we do, you know, as recently as today. You know, one of the, the interesting things, and and during the time that of the prominence of uh, demand, where I was at Steve Madden running mm-hmm. uh, the e-commerce business there, and you know, one of the things that was interesting about what you guys were doing is, you know, all these brands that wanted to sell 
digitally and needed to sell digitally, you know, most of them were not technology shops. You know, they had, you know, these big honking, you know, ERP systems. They didn't really have very many digital technologists, you know, in their business. And they were taking their core competency, which was marketing and creative and product. And I felt like they were watering it down because now they needed to be technologists. They needed to have dev teams to create platforms and demandware took that out of their hands to a large degree. Fair? Totally. Totally fair. And it has become really the de facto standard as you look across sales and service and marketing and commerce. And by the way, I think of you and Steve Madden anytime I take the Acela to and from Boston to New York, because I know your office, you can see it right off to the side on the right coming out of New York. It was almost like a gingerbread housey type of office. And I remember visiting you with Sarah, the account executive at the time, good friend of mine. She's great. Glasser, right? You got yeah. it, right? Yeah, now at Adobe. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, visiting you there. So yeah, it's in one of the boroughs, right? Am I getting that right? Because I remember oh, seeing it off to the side. It's in Queens. I did that uh, that drive seven years, usually getting in my my car at 5 a.m. and getting to the office by 6 a.m. And, and starting my day. Because uh, for those that don't know the geography, you really cannot get from New Jersey to Queens uh, without a helicopter. So yeah. <laughs> and so today at Salesforce, uh, what's your role at Salesforce? And we know what the title is, but what are you really doing? Yeah, yeah. So I oversee our product and solutions strategy along with our industry insights team. So product and solutions is what you would typically think of in an organization that is fairly matrix and grew up in somewhat of a horizontal way by cloud, right? Sales cloud, service cloud, marketing cloud, commerce cloud, obviously expanded with Tableau and MuleSoft and Slack to really expand our portfolio all at the same time by keeping the customer in the center of everything we do, I help bring the product to market for retailers. So understanding, if you think about it in real retail terms, a unified platform to enable retailers to connect with their customers across the entire journey from discovery and inspiration to shopping and purchase to delivery and service and understanding with the underpinnings of that customer, the customer preference, the customer profile, the customer attributes, understanding dynamically, understanding in real time who that customer is and how we engage them. You know, I mentioned all the different touch points that a consumer traverses. I didn't mention that on average, according to our research retailers, and you live and breathe this, Mark, have 44 different front-end systems to manage the consumer engagement. So if we can help simplify that, if we can help really extract the value from the consumer and activate the data in an intelligence way, we're doing our job. That's the product and solution side. We have a team of actually internal analysts, if you think about it. So this whole analyst kind of theme has traversed my whole career where we look at all the research that we do. It helps influence our product strategy. It helps us have conversations with executives from around the world. Part of the component is our shopping index, which bubbles up all the data on Commerce Cloud, strips out all the PIA data, and it really becomes a de facto standard of what's happening in digital. And we supplement that with primary and secondary research. So we're putting out 
large-scale industry research on a regular basis. We also have this online free benchmarking tool built on Tableau Shopping Index for anybody, whether you're a customer or not, to be able to go and understand what your peers are doing by geography and by vertical. And I, we're recording this in you know, mid-September, and I believe you just finished some uh, primary research uh, around back to school and the upcoming uh, holiday. Can you share yeah. some tidbits uh, with us about what you saw? Absolutely. Yeah. So again, this is based on the shopping index. Back to school was a nice bright spot in the calendar year. You know, if you looked at the first half of the year, both US and digitally, we were basically flat from a digital perspective. Now, I think we should all put that in perspective. We had seismic growth in 2020 and 2021. Our compound annual growth rate for those years, if you look at it through 2022, promises to be much higher than it would be in any given year, and certainly were much higher than we were three years ago. So the whole narrative that digital gave everything back is not true based on our data. But as I mentioned, the bright spot for back to school, we saw about a 5% increase. We also saw a slight uptick in number of orders. What's super interesting to point out though, through the course of the year, and even as we saw the somewhat of a spike in back to school, is a lot of that growth is based on increase of average selling price. So consumers are buying things at higher prices, but they're not buying more things. You know, consumer spending is essentially a zero sum game. So that's um, really an indication as to what we see the holiday looking like in digital, somewhat flat. But what is super, super interesting is just the difference of the anatomy of the season in terms of spikes in sales. We saw a spike in July for Prime Day. In the US, any retailer not named Amazon saw about a 21% year-over-year increase for the second week July 2020 compared to second week July 2021. We saw that little spike as it relates to back to school. We'll see another one if the rumored Prime Day happens in October. But what we're saying in our forecast is about a third of sales will actually happen in the first three weeks of November. So there is this pull forward, which retailers forever wanted to happen, drum up demand earlier in the season, but didn't quite happen. We saw it happen in 2020 because people were worried with shipping capacity issues that the product wouldn't get there in time for Christmas. We saw some angst happen in 2021 with the inventory concerns and product not coming in through the port. And now we're seeing a pull forward because people are going to buy early hoping to get a better price before it goes up later in the season. What are you seeing as it pertains to uh, free shipping and the hurdles associated with free shipping? Um, you know, I've seen some businesses where year over year package costs on comparably weighted packages are up 15% or more. Um, you know, this year, um, some of being driven just by increased prices, by fuel sur surcharges, what have you. So, you know, is that causing the retailer to, to rethink the hurdles for free shipping, how often they do free shipping with no hurdle, that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. It's a great question. And the broader headline we're already seeing, and we anticipate even 
spiking up over the holiday is the fear that margin will be the Grinch that steals Christmas. I mean, you brought up the packaging and the fulfillment, but we're seeing, you know, obviously in other supply chain areas, manufacturing raw material, fuel, labor costs. Last year, retailers, suppliers, the supply chain, they were able to largely absorb the increase in the cost of doing business and the cost of goods sold. Uh, why? Because they didn't have to really discount. We saw the lowest discounting rates in a decade. This year, they're going to pass some of those costs along to the consumer, but they're going to absorb a lot of those costs as well. And that's going to really hurt margin. Not only are we going to hear about that through the end of the holiday, but as earnings season happens in February, that's going to be a major story. And shipping is one of those areas that retailers are really playing with that. And thresholds will play a large part. Sustainability along the lines of shipping will also play a role. We'll see more and more promotions around shipping earlier in the season, doing it in a more environmentally friendly way, doing it in a more economically sound way. You know, we're hoping that retailers don't feel compelled to play discount chicken where they'll have to discount too often and too high of thresholds, but perhaps thinking about leaning in their promotional calendar around shipping for sustainability, urgency to get the product early before the prices go up, exclusivity, get the products that are available to loyalty members. So that's my long way of saying is shipping is going to play a key role, not only in satisfaction, but you know, really looking at margin and ensuring those pressures don't eat into profitability too much. Any good uh, podcast or any kind of media always wants to come away with a soundbite. And I, I think the soundbite here is the margin is the Grinch that stole Christmas. Uh, I think that's what you said. That could be it. Yeah, that is it. And <laughs> I think we're going to hear that more and more. Well, look, uh, this was uh, great. We're getting down to the end of the show. And I, frankly, I could have asked you another 20 questions about retail. Uh, your experience is, uh, is amazing. So really interesting stuff. Uh, but uh, we get down uh, to this two-minute drill that I do, seven questions, uh, oh, one yeah. or two-word answers. You ready? I am ready. I, am, I always like this part, so let's do it. All right. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? Oh gosh, I, you know, got to go to Target. It's funny to say that. And I know this is more than two words, so you can cut me off at any point here, but just how they really leaned into logistics well beyond they have that where they had to, and really thinking about the stores and how that plays a role into the last mile. Yeah. They're, and, and also their buy online, you know, pick up uh, in the parking lot. Absolutely. Was great really quickly uh, in the beginning of the pandemic and still today is a, is a great service. Yes. Favorite app on your phone? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I have to say Waze. And the reason is it's such a utility. I mean, I have a really good, a really good sense of direction, but I feel like I have to use it. Now, I'm not always compelled to Follow, follow where it, they right. tell me to go. But I also think it's a glimpse into the future of retail because people are living their world in ways in order to get from point A to point B. Retailers really need to think about how they embed their brand 
and how they take advantage of those eyeballs to not only gain more traction from a marketing perspective, but also embedding the buy button. Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? You know, I got to tell you, it was Suit Supply. And I'll tell you why. Uh, We're recording this on the cusp of Dreamforce, and I always have to pick up my retail and fashion senses as I go into the big week. And I picked up two shirts that I got today, and I love their stuff. Okay. Something that you're not good at, but wish that you were. Huh. Well, I got to say singing. I really enjoy singing. I'm terrible at it. My older son has perfect pitch and he's really good and can pick up an instrument and play anything. So I would say singing. All right. Well, I'll introduce you to uh, episode number 63 guest, Eric Lodier, who I mentioned was an opera singer. uh, And uh, his voice is incredible, especially for a podcast. So maybe he can help you learn how to carry a tune. I like that. Or at least connect him to my son. (laughs) charitable organization that you're passionate about. Yeah, I mentioned them earlier in the podcast, and I'll give another plug. That's Retail ROI. Greg Busick and team just do an amazing job, you know, bringing the resources and capital to kids in need. Okay. If you had one superpower, what would it be? I would say flying. I would say flying just to be able to A, see the world from a different perspective and to get from point A to point B faster and more efficiently. And other than family, what's your most prized possession? Well, I think probably my first prize, I'm going to give two, I'm going to cheat if I can. I would say the first prize possession goes in as affiliated with my family, which is for those that know me, my happy place is Cape Cod. And we have a great little spot in Mashpee on a pond that just is really my prized possession because it brings people together who I love. The second is something my wife got me for my 40th birthday, which was an old school national cash register. So NCR from the 1920s or 30s, it's in my office. It got refurbished. It could use a bit more of refurbishing, but I just, I love it because it's just nothing speaks, I think, more to retail than an old school cash register. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, you're obviously out on social media, but where can people find you, Rob? Yeah, you can see me on Twitter at retail Rob Garf and on LinkedIn. You can track me and check out my Garfies on a weekly basis. Okay. Well, Rob, uh, thanks very much. Uh, lots of great insights here. Uh, good luck with uh, Dreamforce that's coming up. And uh, I'm sure we'll uh, cross paths again soon. Mark, this was an absolute pleasure. It's always good to connect with old friends in the industry. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Rob Gar for coming on the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, margin will be the Grinch that steals Christmas. That was the soundbite from today's show. Rob speaking about the challenges that retailers will have with increased costs and the likelihood that they'll need to be more price promotional than last year. Shop early while retailers have the products that you want. Number two, change cannot happen just because you want it to. Use data to support your point of view and tell a story about the current situation and how you envision things will improve with the changes that you're suggesting. And number three, the store is not dead and there's significant importance of the physical store on a digital business. 
Studies have shown that 60% of digital orders are somehow influenced by stores that a brand has. It could be through touching and feeling the product and buying online later, or through ship from store or buy online, pick up in store. Stores do matter to a brand. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details. (laughs) 